Welcome to Arc Next Sessions, episode 56. I'm Paul, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Donna and Ken. This week, sitting in for Amelia, who is away at South by Southwest, is Alexander Walter. Visitors to ArcConnect, and I'm talking the website, not, not necessarily this podcast, will recognize Alex's name. In addition to his work on ArcConnect, Alex spends a good percentage of his time here in the office working on our sister site, Bustler, a spinoff website we launched almost 10 years ago to specifically cover competitions, events, and related news. Alex, great to have you join us this week. Hey guys, pleasure to be on the show. It's great to have you on and hear your voice, Alex. So Alex, it's been a big few days here at the office with the launch of the new Bustler, which we've been pretty quiet about online. We just kind of, we're, we're calling it a soft launch, just letting it, releasing it to the public and seeing what happens. So far, there's been no problems. Everything seems to be running properly. Maybe you can give us a little uh, backstory about, about the new site, some of the new features. Yeah, absolutely. The soft launch worked really well, and um, we're excited that everything is looking good and working well. And it, it took us some time to put this all together. Yeah, Bustler, for, for the, the people out there that, that aren't familiar with that, was actually launched back in 2007, so it's almost 10 years old now, as the, the first spin-off site for ArcConnect, and really with the goal to focus on some highly specific aspect of architecture. And, and that for Bustler was competitions and also events from the architecture and design world. And um, we really wanted to create a place where we can curate just the best events that are out there and really the best competitions that people have to find out about. Yeah, I remember back back then, part of the reason or the big, big reason that we launched this, uh, this other site was that we were getting so many requests from event organizers and competition organizers to spread the news of their events. And it was starting to take over ArcConnect. We didn't want ArcConnect to necessarily be just about competitions and events. So that kind of filled that. Yeah, that's right. That void. Yeah, and and, and then also the, the the Bustler pretty much came out of that to really signify that this is really about like just really get it going and, and pull the old night ears and really put the work in to put out cool ideas and really just like be in there in the, the whole competition world. And it really took off and, and, and Bustler became, garnered a huge international following, really created this online community. And then we redesigned it in 2009. So the, the old design really had already a few years under the Is that account. how long it's been? 2000? Yeah. Wow. Since 2009. So seven years since uh, that the last design. Yeah. Design. We did some some minor design updates and changes, improvements, but uh, the main redesign was in 2009. And, uh, but seemed to have been quite robust because um, it, it really established itself out there. And um, we got so many response, so much feedback from from uh, architects around the world that it really had this this big international following. And people always send us an email like, oh yeah, of course, like Bustler is the, the place where we look up our, uh, architecture competitions. So that was always great to hear, but we could feel how the old side was just really reaching its limits now that it's 2016 and people consume the internet in a different way than they used to back then. And now it's, a, you have it on your phone and your, your tablet and mobile devices. And, and the old site just wasn't really built for that. Like back in 2009, the, the web was just fundamentally different and the devices. And so, yeah, it was definitely time to completely overhaul the, the site. And that's pretty much what we did with the new, newly relaunched site, which is really built for 2016. So it's um, completely redesigned the, the layout to be responsive. So it really works on smartphones and tablets, on desktop computers, on really big screens, been optimized for high resolution screens like retina displays to really look sharp, look crisp and be really, really legible and, and just like look really good. 
Yeah, yeah. And uh, credit to you for for the design and, and front end programming, which all is looking great. It's so much it's so much nicer to be able to browse the site on my phone now <laughs> and actually not have to zoom in on everything to try to to try to read. Another big update to this version of, of Bustler is that it's actually running on Archinex proprietary backend and database, which we spent a lot of time developing a few years ago. And by integrating it now together, we're able to cross-reference content like uh, firm profiles, school profiles. And eventually, you know, we have plans to integrate a lot more, more content editorially. And, you know, we can, we can now display cross-reference articles between Archinect and Bustler in ways that uh, we never were able to in the past. And it, and it runs a lot faster now, too. Mm-hmm. It was, right. it was becoming very sluggish before the site totally outgrew its its backend and its database that that we uh, originally developed it for. So now running on Archinex kind of monstrous platform, it, it's running very smoothly. That's a huge improvement. And and one really big advantage is also that you can now log in with your Archinect account to use Bustler. So um, everything's set up on the Archinect user account system. So if you if you'd like to leave a comment on Bustler or if you'd like to submit a news pitch or a competition or an event listing, you can just use your existing Archinect account and just log in with that one. Or we now have this spiffy new social sign on too. So if you don't have an Archinect account yet, which is tragic, then uh, you can also use your Facebook account or Twitter or LinkedIn. <laughs> well, for sure. Everyone should have one, of course. Everyone should be on Archinect. Of course. I could not imagine a better adjective to describe not having an Archinect account than, than tragic. <laughs> yes. I completely agree. How can you not as an architect? And now if you don't have one, you can set one up like in a fraction of a second by just clicking on your, you know, your Twitter or Facebook or LinkedIn That's right. button and it will immediately connect it and uh, create an account for you. Anyways, I don't want to make this sound too much like an infomercial. <laughs> we hope that we hope that uh, everybody will will uh, check out the new Bustler because really we we've been putting so much effort into making it the the one stop ultimate resource for competitions and events and for everyone out there listening if you have any competitions or events that you're involved with or know of any that that isn't already listed on the site let us know or post it yourself you can post it for free both events and competitions. We also have a new kind of self-managed advertising platform that will allow you to really expand the reach of your event and competition by by choosing the days that you would like to uh, get get your event or competition blasted out to the community. And but it's free for everybody everybody that doesn't have the money to spend, which is uh, a lot of a lot of competitions and event organizers don't have that budget. It's uh, totally free to post, and everything that goes through our posting submission or posting process goes through an editorial re- review. Right, Alex? That's Maybe correct. you can talk a little bit about how that happens. Well, all the submissions that come through um, get reviewed by our editorial team. So we want to make sure that really only the best stuff that goes out that is really relevant. And it's also where all the information is complete. So um, we don't accidentally post any drafts or so or test submissions. So um, and also events and competitions that are really of high interest to our audience. And um, so, yeah, um, we really encourage everyone to submit their events and competitions. And then with some luck, then we like it and then it goes up and then it's displayed in a really nice new way. Speaking of submissions and the uh, kind of editorial vetting that goes through, there was a competition that was submitted last week that we did not let through and has since caused a lot of controversy online. I don't know if, Ken and Donna, you're too familiar with this this competition 
as much as we are here in ArcNet, because it's been taking up a lot of our energy <laughs> talking <laughs> about it. The uh, there's a recent competition that's that's launched called the Border Wall Competition that was or that is challenging architects and and I guess everybody out there to design a border wall between uh, Mexico and the U.S. and I believe Canada and the U.S. as well, kind of per Trump's vision. And we decided that that wasn't really kind of jiving with our moral bar that we've set. So we we did not allow that to be posted. And today, Nicholas Carodi has uh, penned a really great piece talking about that decision that we made and some of the some of the controversy that's been seen online. Yeah, I've been following it. It's uh, it's kind of a mess. And I I was really intrigued a couple weeks ago, I think, or maybe a week ago. Actually, I looked. It was March 8th. Kristen Capps wrote an article sort of just very, and I, I hashtagged his article about the wall, the adults are talking, because he was very much saying the possibility of a wall like this being built are, is so minimal. You're talking about 10% of the concrete in the entire globe being used for this wall. You're talking about getting property rights from Native American communities, from private owners, from you know different countries. And he posed the question, are there really any architects or engineers that would be willing to take on such a controversial topic anyway? So that his article, then shortly after that came this, po- this post on one of the other architecture websites of the, the competition. And then Kristen Capps was sort of asking, wait, is this real? And I started looking, other people on Twitter were also saying, is this for real? Because as our good friend Killian Riano pointed out, the call for entries uses some pretty offensive language to describe people who are entering a country without, I guess, you know, not entering legally, I guess, is the, the not even the best way to put it. But, but so, so I think the controversy around it is really well justified because it does not, I mean, we could get into a discussion of ideas competitions. I think the whole notion of an ideas competition is a nice one. But at one point, somebody years ago on Arcanet posed, maybe we should have a competition to design a safer meth lab. And I think, again, that's the kind of thing you, you're not really maybe helping people by designing something that's that, in the overall view, not really a good policy, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we, we had this conversation among our, our team today when at lunch about this competition. And, you know, one thing that was brought up was how can it be ethical to have a conversation about how to design a border wall. If they wanted to make it politically neutral, which which the organizers have claimed since this controversy kind of has erupted, that they're not taking any kind of political stance and they want it to be neutral and they're looking for ideas, why not challenge architects to envision a condition at the border rather than a wall? You know, they're they're specifically saying a wall to keep people out. And they're they're giving stats on, you know, the number of illegal immigrants and, you know, and, and obviously alluding to the fact that this is a problem that needs to be solved. So I don't understand how they, they have told us, you know, after we've declined to help promote this competition, they have told us that it's not their intention to be be promoting Trump's agenda and that they are trying to stay politically neutral or they, they are politically neutral. But and they and they will be amending their brief within the next couple of days and have asked that we reconsider. But I really am curious to see how they could amend the brief without removing the word wall to make it something that would that would be publishable by us, at least. Because it really prefaces also the, the acknowledgement of the need of a wall. So pretty much just confirming Trump's agenda. Exactly. Ken, what were your thoughts on it? <laughs> <laughs> well, a couple. I mean, one, I think 
it, it is it's tantalizing competition because it it does pique it pique my interest because I could see I don't believe in the wall I don't believe in the idea of the wall I believe that everything that everybody's saying about the idea about a wall is ridiculous is is spot on but the idea is striking from to me because I think it does start to. I mean, look, we have you have a competition on Bustle right now that I'm sure a lot of people that are conservative and religious right would not find palatable. That would say Planned Parenthood is, mm. is an yeah. abortion mill and we should not be dealing with competitions or having any thinking around how to d- design a better Planned Parenthood facility. A, a position, again, I totally disagree with. Excellent point, though. Excellent mm-hmm. point. So... And here's the thing. I mean, we're taking it from a standpoint of a defender. We're somehow a defender of our territory, and we're looking at it that way. Well, what, what if you turn it on its head and say, what if What if the Mexican people said, fuck you, America? I'm going to design a wall and keep your fucking drunken teenage, <laughs> spring you know, breakers, all your college kids. We're going to build a border wall to keep you out of our country. Well, if Trump wins, I think Canada might be putting a wall up. Because there's going to be a lot of people trying to sneak up north. <laughs> But then I could think of, you know, whenever I I remember reading this story, it's a short story. I forget. I think it's by Sartre or Camus. I can't, I always forget which one called the wall. And what's always struck me about the idea of a wall is that it's either an obstruction or a thing to move along. So I thought, well, you know, how can I turn this into something that's actually an interesting solution? What if it was, you know, I could just think of a possibility. Well, what if it's a wall that leads people to Canada? What if it's a way of actually, you know, if, if it bypasses, I mean, I can think of different, I can think of creative scenarios that would turn the idea on its head. And I think that's part of the problem is if we just push this aside and, and dismiss it as we will Trump, I think we're missing an opportunity to kind of think about this in a very thoughtful way. And I think that's part of what we do as architects is we, we take those ideas that are immediately challenging, challenging the notions of what we think about in the world. And how do you turn that in a way that is that solves a different problem, the problem that's not being asked to be solved in this, but actually solves a, a different problem. I mean, what's problematic about this competition for me is the language. I mean, the language, right. at the, when, I, when I read that, I was like, whoa, you can't say that you're not taking a position when you use the kind of language that says the uh, ineffective at best or dismal at failure at worst. I mean, you already set yourself up to take a position. So how they backtrack from that, they, they have to do more than just rewrite it. They have to come out and actually tell us who they are because I wouldn't enter a competition knowing this language existed. I wouldn't enter a competition that didn't even identify who the person was putting on the competition because then I could be promoting an agenda that I don't agree with. Exactly. I mean, and, and it goes to what Paul said about, you know, they're not, no, I think Paul said it about, it's not like they're saying, let's analyze a condition of a border. They're saying, let's design and build a wall, you know? So they're not leaving that room for interpretation. And I think that architects, especially for something this sort of high profile, would want to our profession to be seen as people who can consider a condition and come up with a creative solution that's not necessarily just answering a call to buy something, right? Like it's just, oh, we need to build a wall. How much is that going to cost me? We are creative problem solvers. We're supposed to come up with a different, better answer. Exactly. Yeah. Ken, I think you worded that perfectly. When I first heard about this competition, I got an email from the competition organizers like early last week. When I saw border wall competition, I immediately thought like, oh, this is crazy, but this could be really interesting. This could be the, the perfect way to kind of get people talking about this, this border idea. But then after reading the description, I mean, they specifically say, how can you build a border wall 
to stop people from entering the country and do it in a cost-effective way. <laughs> I mean, that, that yeah. completely eliminates all kind of creative anti-wall type of proposals. Exactly. It, it goes to me to this uh, example I used in um, my AA talk a year ago about, about procurement and how procurement for city governments or whoever can be either, okay, we need, we're putting out a request for pricing for five bike racks, or it can be worded, we're putting out a request to make bike locking safer in the downtown core. Mm -hmm. And that is a very broadly phased notion. So if, if places like cities and municipalities are starting to say, let's use creative procurement as a way to think about how we build and add things, then I think that whole notion of, the, yeah, the language just being, okay, a wall it is not really acceptable anymore. We're all trying to be better design thinkers and think more broadly. And that's kind of how, I mean, in this podcast, I mean, in general, in among kind of our architectural circle, there's been a lot of uh, conversation about the changing role of the architect. And we've talked a lot about that on our podcast. Right. And part of that is for architects to be problem solvers and to not just address a problem with a very specific set of rules, like this competition brief seems to be doing. I mean, it's not it's not really letting architects come up with creative solutions to a bigger problem than just, you know, the construction of a wall. Yeah, when I read the competition brief of, of when it was first submitted, I, it also reminded me a lot of the, the way Trump speaks, you know, using the, the rhetorical device of the paralypsis, of like saying things without saying them. So in the competition brief, it was first... First, it went on and on, like, oh, presidential candidate, Donald Trump plans to build the wall, blah, blah. So expensive, kind of like distancing themselves from his goals and then kind of turning around and saying, but hey, maybe what if we build that thing and we make it actually cheaper than he proposes? How about that? <laughs> really creative. We architects can actually pull it off. And that's something that, that really, really scared me because um, when I first read it, I was also, like Paul said, hoping for a spark of satire or thinking, oh, this can, this can be really funny and, and, and interesting or creative. But I, I, I was just completely missing any sense of creativity or, or a kind of that it could be taken to, to some really creative place. Right. You know, we've, we've talked about this before in other podcasts, talking about uh, solitary confinement and prisons and, and AIA's position on this. And I think I don't think anyone is suggesting that we stop designing prisons. I think we start we were asking for is how is it that we incarcerate people and rehabilitate people? There are fantastic examples, fantastic examples in northern Europe where they have done exactly that. They have they have managed to create forms and spaces that respect the individual and deal with uh, criminal behavior. And we don't have any of that here. So we can keep not, we can keep failing to be a part of the conversation or distancing ourselves from the conversation, or we could figure out how to become part of the conversation in order to change the narrative. And I think right. that's the thing. It's easy to kind of say, this is not something I want to do, but I'm like, People are still going to come here. And I think the nature of the wall can be something very different because people will come here and we will still have a border fence. Regardless of what Trump says, and irrespective of what he says, we're still going to have issues of, around people migrating to the United States. And the problem with the migration to the United States is not the people actually crossing the border. It's actually they're not, they're un, the unsafe conditions that when they're met at the border. Mm -hmm. So there's actually a safety concern that could be addressed. How do you deal with a group of people who are going to continue to come to the border and getting to places without water, without any safety, who are having to deal with violence from the other side of the border and even on their own side of the border. So, I mean, there's a lot of issues 
that are like, wait a second, there should be some kind of, I mean, and you know, it could be done in a very, it could be foster the conversation. How do we do that? And if it, if it brings up a bigger discussion, then that's, I'm all for that. Certainly. I mean, no one's suggesting that this competition is going to build anything. I think it's actually just to have that conversation. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that would be, if that's, if that's the intention of the competition, I hope they reword it in a way that, that allows the community to kind of engage in a meaningful way with uh, creative ideas that address the root of the problem rather than just uh, the, the issue exactly. of designing a wall to stop people from coming in. Also, I mean, I, I would hate it, if they did this competition, came up with a, a lot of great cheap solutions for a wall and, you know, uh, disclosed that they owned all the intellectual property and then sold it to some. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, sold it to Trump. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that happens with competition sometimes. You know, you give up a lot of your, a lot of your work when you submit a competition. Mm -hmm. I, I think it was part of Nicholas's article that he just published. Should it really come to Trump presidency, he will already have a short list of, of architects for the wall. For <laughs> exactly. People who are interested in this project. Yeah. Well, I mean, controversy is not a stranger to competitions. You know, we've seen a lot of controversy emerge from competitions that, that have been around the last few years, all of which were, you know, we've included on, on Bustler. Alex, any come to mind? Well, I guess a really big one fairly recently was the, the Guggenheim Helsinki design competition. And then the subsequent reaction to that, uh, it was called the, the Next Helsinki International Call for Alternatives to the Proposed Guggenheim Helsinki. It's quite a mouthful. That was launched just a few months later by Michael Sorkin. And, and, and those two competitions, of course, caused a lot of conversation and a lot of uh, yeah, discussion and also here on the Architect Sessions podcast. Right. Yeah. The Helsinki one was, um, we talked a lot about it because it was, it, it's sort of, it's a landmark competition in that it had the highest number of entries, right? Of any competition ever. Yes. It was like, I don't remember what the number was because I'm terrible at that. Was it like 2000? Um, it was, yeah. Yeah. It was something high. like that. In the thousands. Yeah. And a, and a potato. Yeah. And a potato. <laughs> exactly. And then including a giant potato. And that, I mean, to me, this also gets to that, that really interesting line between something that's an ideas competition versus a, something that's actually going to be built. I, I mean, I think the Helsinki, the Guggenheim, with the Guggenheim name behind it, we all, everyone sort of assumed that this was a very serious call for entries and it really is something that could be built. We're now a year later and and uh, there, I, in preparation for this podcast, went looking for news and updates on the competition and it, it there is not much out there, but it does appear that they are a third of the way to their funding that they needed to, I think, to build I'm not, I wasn't quite clear on the language because it was from a, a European Finnish newspaper that I wasn't quite sure I was getting. They're two thirds of the way, sorry, two thirds of the way towards getting the $27 million that they needed to get licensing fees, which I think meant to, to start the process of building, not to actually build the building. I have no idea what the construction budget might be. But I was, the, the reason it was in the news at all was that um, a group of five Finnish travel related industries had come together and made a million dollar donate, a million euro donation to the project because the Finnair and the um, taxi companies are seeing that more people coming to Helsinki means more money for them. So so to me, what it's really, really interesting where competitions are all about this excitement and glamour around the big announcing the prize and the winner and looking at all the, the entries. And then there's a lot of really boring work that has to go into getting it to actually, to actually getting something built. It's much less glamorous when you get right down to what we actually have to do to make a building get built. So maybe that's why competitions are so popular and so become so famous because you can do fun things with them, like a giant potato. 
and not really have to worry about how it's going to get built. I mean, Zaha Hadid's career launched on winning the peak competition in Hong Kong with something that was completely unbuildable at the time. Mm -hmm. A lot of competitions or a lot of a lot of firms and, and architects do get a, a huge boost or or launch you know, from inception uh, through a competition. Right. Speaking of the Guggenheim Helsinki, we actually, I mean, back last year, we had Moreau Kusunoki on the podcast to talk about their their project. So for those of you interested in learning more about that, that winning project from that very popular and controversial competition, you can go back and listen to that episode, which we'll link to in the show notes. Yeah, another competition that was just really, really big on on Basler a few years ago, was actually back in 2008, was the ThyssenKrupp Elevator Architecture Award Dubai competition. And for those who, who still remember it, it just had the highest number of, of comments we've ever had on the Basler website. And uh, we actually had to dedicate several articles, news articles, to first of the, the winning entries. And they were just so outrageous that we also decided to publish a lot of the non-winning entries, which were just way outer in terms of design and, and, and the comment section really reflected that people had, a, had an appetite of <laughs> for those and also debating the, the buildability of, of those winning entries. I'm so glad we have a native German speaker to be able to pronounce the title of that competition. <laughs> the the Thyssenkrupp. Yeah. Otherwise it would be Thyssenkrupp. <laughs> In America, <laughs> yeah, that's what we'd say. Yeah, that was a that was a fun competition to <laughs> to watch. That's the one. Yeah, that's the one with the great big giant Dubai frame, which is actually in in the process of being constructed right now. Right? Yeah, and it actually um, caused another big controversy because we recently uh, were in touch with the person or the the design team that actually won the competition back then, and it now turns out that pretty much his design was stolen or kind of like taken by the competition organizers without really giving giving the designers much say in the construction. And, and th there's been a lot of controversy about that. And um, intellectual property was pretty much taken from them after they won the competition. And I think also the, the, the reimbursement and, and the financial flow of, of, of the, the winning monies didn't go to as well. And there's been lawsuits too. Yeah, that was uh, Fernando Donas, is that? I think that was his name, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll link to the, uh, to the news about that in the show notes as well. Mm -hmm. To me, that one was also very sad because I personally think the, the thing that is getting built apparently now almost bears no relationship whatsoever to his proposed entry, what he, what he proposed. That's right. But, you know, read the fine print, people, because apparently the rules say we own your intellectual property as soon as you submit it to us for this competition. So it's ours. You don't get to have any say, which is sad and challenging. But yeah, it's read the, read the fine print, everyone, if you're going to enter one of these competitions. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. The changes that they made may not be as noticeable or significant to the, to the general public, but for a designer or for an architect, the changes were pretty substantial changing yeah. the uh substantial yeah the one competition i liked a lot and i regret um not getting my submission in on time was the michael jackson memorial <laughs> oh right i remember yeah. you talking about that <laughs> that was yeah that was a really fun competition that we hosted on our connect a few years ago i think we still have a, a leftover michael jackson t-shirt that we can send you oh. as a <laughs> honorary participant in that competition Ken? You know, it's funny. I look back on that project. I go, that was one of the, the coolest things I've ever done and no one's ever seen it. Well, yeah. Oh, did you, did you submit? I didn't submit. I, oh, okay. I, you know what happened is I, I was, I was thinking about it and I was like, can I pull this? And it was like a couple of days before I'm like, 
maybe I could pull it. And I tried. I was like, ah, damn, just not going to get it done in time. But it, they actually mm. came together as a, I'm like, well, this is actually not bad. Right. I think it was, what What year was that? It's like when was eight that? or nine. Well, it eight, was shortly nine, after yeah. he died. Yeah. It was right around when I was unemployment, I think was or somewhere around now. It was, time. yeah, it was in the middle of the recession. I'm pretty yeah. sure. Well, so that raises an interesting question to me about competitions. And I wonder if right now we're not seeing as much submittal to competitions because everyone's so busy. You know, I mean, the, the economy's going like gangbusters. Ar- every architect I know is looking to hire, basically. And I don't think they're all doing competitions. I think there's so much built work going on right now that I wonder if there's less of a impetus to, to enter one if you're just sitting around, if you're not just sitting around with nothing to do. That's a really good question. We're not too sure about the uh, participation numbers of the competitions out there, but we do know when we redesigned Bustler back in 2009, it was in response to the demand that competitions were getting from architects because it was in the middle of the recession and there was no work and everybody was desperate to, you know, express their creative freedom and, and do something rather than just, you know, sit around looking for the job that doesn't exist out there. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that there's a correlation. It's probably, it probably is hard these days to get submissions to competitions. Can I ask you guys just a couple of questions about how you go about selecting or what to put up as a competition? I mean, and it's kind of in, in light of uh, this uh, third foundation, third mind foundation. I mean, it seems like they sprung up pretty late in 2015. I've I visited their Twitter page. They've got five tweets. They their first tweet is announcing their competition. I mean, do you guys look at the history of who wants to put up a competition and say, well, they have a track record? Or I mean, is that a consideration? Or how do you go about deciding whether or not? Obviously, the content is the the driving force behind not allowing them to put up a, a, um, a submission. But what is, uh, what is the criteria around that? Yeah, that's right. Like um, definitely the, the content is the, the primary consideration to, to see if this is something that's relevant and it's interesting enough. And then also we, we do always um, check back on the, the submitting organization's website if, if that looks legitimate or just hastily thrown together. And also with, with, we have a lot of competition organizers that we have an established relationship with that put out competitions regularly and they come back to Bustler and, and also tell us that they're just getting really good responses from people coming through Bustler. And, and that's also good feedback for us to really see that they are treating the, the, the process well, that they treat the, the, the submitting design teams well in, in terms of also like promoting the output and um, really treating everyone fairly. So, so those, um, we definitely always really like working with organizers, again, that, that we've worked in the past with before. And with new ones, of course, we always make sure that everything does look legitimate. Every once in a while, we do get feedback where somebody says like, so-and-so caused some issues with um, reimbursing the winners and stuff. So that's something uh, where we immediately also blacklist organizations where we see, oh, we will not list their submissions. Again, I'll also try to follow up and and, um, find out what's going on there. Yeah, actually, that's a really good point. Just I second everything that uh, Alex says, but also for those people out there listening, you know, if you entered a competition and you had a bad experience or a really great experience, we would really love to hear from you because, you know, just for example, the other day we received an email from somebody who had won a prize in a competition and she was promised a prize money award that was never delivered. And we 
checked our history. And from a couple of years ago, we, we received a similar complaint from the same organizer. And, you know, this is something that we are going to investigate. And if this competition organizer has a, has a history of doing this, then they're not going to be, we're, we're, there's no way we're going to be allowing submissions to be published by them anymore. And, you know, we'd like to, we'd like to continue doing that kind of policing these, these competition organizations and making sure that the competitions that are listed on the site are, are fairly managed. I mean, the one thing, you know, whenever I look at a competition, my first consideration is it doesn't fit with who, with the things I'm interested in. So that's my first consideration. The second consideration is the fee. And then I start looking at what, okay, based on the fee, what is the award? So I start to look at it, I'm like, okay, well, you've got, if you have a thousand people, I mean, do you ever start to look at, do you ever look at that and say, well, that seem that fee seems, you know, based on they're not going to have a lot of, you know, a lot of, um, I guess what I'm asking is, do you ever look at those things and wonder, is the fee justified based on the jury? I mean, obviously the jurors are getting a stipend. Or is it just a money-making, a way of collecting money to do something other? Do you know what I'm driving at? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is something that we had to struggle with in our um, drought competition that we hosted just a few months ago, our California drought competition, when we decided to have a a fee associated with uh, submissions, which I believe was $20. I think so, yeah. That, I can guarantee you that we did not make any money from that competition. We definitely lost money. I mean, but not, not I, lost is not the right word. We um, invested our own money into that competition. The $20 per submission helped alleviate the costs involved in in running the competition. And I think that the majority of the competitions out there, the submission fee does just attempt to cover the the costs involved because just running a competition takes an enormous amount of time and, and money, most of them. That said, there are competitions out there that are very suspicious looking that I do not necessarily think have that same agenda. So I think, you know, it really has to be looked at on an individual case-by-case basis. Competitions, for example, I mean, there, there are competition organizers out there that have competitions that are just looking for a lot of proposals for a project they plan on building rather than hiring an architect. And, you know, that needs to be taken into consideration. Should you be paying to be basically applying for a job? Probably not. If it's an ideas competition that's offering a prize, you know, prize money, and also it's a great opportunity to to get your ideas out there, you know, maybe maybe that submission fee is worth worth your money. But it's hard to say. You can't, I, I don't think you can really apply the same judgment to all competitions. I think it, I think they have to be carefully weighed, each one individually. I've been involved in on the organizing side of a competition that was an invited competition, and it was five big name architects. You guys would recognize all of them. Um, this was years and years and years ago, but we paid them. I, I mean, the organizers paid them, for, and it was University of Pennsylvania, paid them for their work. Now, it was a stipend, so it probably did not cover the cost of what they put into the work, but at least it was, you know, it was a, an acknowledgement that doing this kind of competition work takes time and money and effort and resources of your firm. A good friend of mine, Rob Sarnio, ran a, a competition also among five big name architects again years ago for the Peabody Essex Museum. And likewise, they paid them a decent amount, you know, to, to really bring the thing through to a certain level of design reality. Now that though, an invited competition is very different from what is just an open call entries. And uh, I think most of the, I imagine everything on Bustler is an open call, right? Because you guys guys wouldn't advertise for a school that was like, we're going to invite the top 10 architects to come and get to a... In the competitions (laughs) section, in the news, we often report on winning projects in uh, invitation-only competitions. Right, exactly. 
All right. Well, maybe we should move on to some interesting competitions that we've uh, picked out that are currently on Bustler that have some registration deadlines coming up in the next few months. Alex, do you have a, uh, one that you want to share? Yeah, one that um, really stands out to me, what I, what I find uh, the brief really time timely right now, it's the, the Syria post-war housing competition. And it's a it's another competition by Matter Better. Those are the, the organizers. And they're inviting to design housing concepts in a post-war Syria once the war, hopefully, is over one day. And then millions of refugees will start returning to the destroyed towns and they will find everything very much destroyed. And then um, how can you have design concepts in place to to really establish housing solutions very, very quickly? And that's a good competition that, that really stood out to me um, to really, instead of coming up with ways to to set people apart or like how to build a wall between people in the total other way, actually bring them together and help them. And that one, the registration date is coming up soon. It's in April, April 23rd. And the submission deadline is May 8th. Paul, you have another one that you found yeah, interesting? Yeah. Well, there's the uh, density competition. That's d- uh, density spelled D-E-N-C-I-T-Y. That's a competition seeking ideas on how to handle high density situations in unplanned cities around the world. And, uh, and also their, their intention is to use this competition to spread awareness of uh, density problems. And that competition is open to architects, students, engineers, designers, thinkers, NGOs, and organizations. And the uh, registration and submission deadline is April 25th. Yeah, I got another one um, that's kind of very similar to the, the Syria post-housing competition. Um, it's called Sheltering Humanity, Emergency Hosting Proposals for People in the Mediterranean Sea. It's a very long competition title. And this one is um, organized by a Greek team of, of architects, and they're um, seeking design solutions to respond to the surge of refugees coming to Europe over the, the Mediterranean Sea. And uh, this one, whoever is interested in submitting to those, uh, has to hurry because the deadline is this Friday. So really coming up very Oh, wow. Soon. Yeah, better get to work. Got to be an start, all-nighter. Got to start bustling. A few all-nighters. Well, I, I've got another competition that I'd like to recommend that is way less serious than uh, any of the competitions that we just mentioned called the Cannabis Bank. That was a competition that was just posted by a competition uh, organizing group called Bee Breeders. And it's a competition to design a cannabis bank. They didn't really describe exactly the definition of a cannabis bank, but I, I'm assuming that it's a place to buy cannabis. Or store it. <laughs> the, or to store it, right? Well, so- it didn't seem like it was to store it because <laughs> the brief said that, the brief indicated that, that the designer should uh, choose the location. And if the location is in a place where marijuana is legal, then it can be, it it should be a place where you can both get cannabis and also uh, be educated to the benefits of of cannabis for health and wellness. And if it's not in a location that is, um, has it legalized, it should be in the form of a uh, dispensary, medical dispensary. But it's a topical, topical uh, competition. And the deadline is not on 420. It's uh, June, June 8th. I, it's funny because I was actually... Look- oh, they lost that chance. Yeah. Um, so deadline is uh, for registration is June 8th and submission is June 22nd. And uh, that should be fun. Mm-hmm. Maybe because bee breeders, I think they're from, from Europe, from the Baltic region. Oh, those Europeans. They're, they're so Europeans. progressive. Yeah. And, and their, date, <laughs> their date format is the other way around. So maybe they didn't think of the 420. Oh, uh, okay. So oh, then it would be sure. the 20th of April. Well, maybe it's 4.20 p.m. 
on June 8th. Or I guess it would be 4.20 a.m. if it's in Europe. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not not 16. So in Europe, like in other countries, do people actually wake up at 4.20 in the morning to smoke weed? Yeah, we do. Yeah. 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 (laughs) It's very unfortunate living in Europe. But speaking of weed breeders, they, they, they actually put out a lot of these sometimes funny, sometimes um, socially aware um, competitions. And, and another really good one they currently have out on Bustler is the Ugandan LGBT Youth Asylum. And um, that's also trying to address the, like, a, like a pretty severe issue of um, so many countries out there that have still LGBT people criminalized. And, um, and this competition is really seeking to design a shelter or an asylum where um, LGBT youth can find refuge and um, be safe from prosecution. So that's a, that's a pretty good one. And um, the registration deadline is April 20th and the submission deadline is on May 4th. April 20th. 420. 420. 420. <laughs> Coincidental. Switch back. And so in addition to competitions, we also on Bustler uh, publish a lot of calls for submissions, which are not necessarily competitions, but they kind of fit into that same category. And there's there's a few that we have online right now, right? Alex? Yeah, we have a whole bunch out there right now. And uh, maybe just to mention a few of them. Um, one is Pamphlet Architecture from Princeton Architecture Press. And this one has a um, pretty, pretty... Um, nice jury. They have Stephen Hall and uh, Tom Main as jury members. And who's interested in submitting to this one? June 2nd is the, the, the deadline for this one. And then also we have Scenario Journal from Pen Design. Um, I don't have the deadline right here, but um, it's, it's coming up soon. And also Pool is a new student journal um, of the Department of Architecture and Urban Design at UCLA. So, so check it out. Um, we have many, many calls for submissions in the competition section. Do you guys uh, plan on decoupling the uh, competitions from the Orconnect site? Um, well, right now, right now we have events and competition section on Orconnect, which doesn't get that much attention relative to the rest of Orconnect because people usually go to Bustler for that. Up until this redesign, we've been syncing uh, the the competition and event listings from Bustler. Now that we've launched the new Orconnect, that sync has kind of paused, and we're going to be updating soon the competitions and events section on Arconnect to reflect kind of a more curated list of events and competitions kind of selected from Bustler. So it, rather than it being an, an exhaustive list as it is, as it has been, it's going to be kind of a more selected list from Bustler that will then still link people back to Bustler for all the, all the details. And uh, you're going to create an app for this, uh, for this site? The new Bustler? I'm not sure if, maybe. Now that the, the website actually runs really well on mobile devices... I wonder if there's a need for that. Yeah, it's a good question. Maybe we will. But but yeah, it is very mobile friendly. So you can save the the uh, bustler.net website to your home screen on uh, on your iPhone. Android too? I think so. Okay. I just noticed we need to uh, uh, add a little uh, home screen icon to the site, but you can do, that's what I did already. So now when I want to go to Bustler, I just click the little icon on my home screen on my phone and it takes me right there and it feels like an app. Exactly. And you just mentioned the URL um, briefly um, for, for, for all people out there. It's uh, bustler.net. So yeah. that's a big distinction. Not .com. Bustler.net. Good to know. Otherwise, you yeah. end up on the wrong website. Uh-oh. Porn? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Bustle stuff. Porn is probably the best guess. Because uh, <laughs> that's usually where you end up on the internet it's if like, you don't yeah. go where you're supposed to go. Oh, yeah. Well, I think that's it for this week. Thanks so much to Alex for joining us. We hope you can have we can have you back on again. Yeah, it would be a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and uh, thanks to Ken and Donna for 
sitting through a lot of uh, talk about Bustler, which... Uh, it looks great, by the way. It does. Thank it looks beautiful. Aww, thank yeah. you. Yeah. yeah the relaunch yeah. is great. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, credit on on that that look and feel goes to Alex. He did a really good job designing the, uh, the, the look and the front end coding. And then we also had our development team do a pretty, pretty amazing job with the back end too. So shout out to them as well. Um, all right. Well, if, uh, if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions about this podcast, ArcNX Sessions, you can reach us on Twitter at our Twitter account, Arc Sessions, or with hashtag ArcNX Sessions. You can also send us an email to connect at ArcNX.com. And if you enjoy this podcast, please consider rating us on iTunes. Thanks to everybody and uh, talk to you next week. Good to talk to you. Have a good week. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.